Thanks for joining us. My name is David. Today I'm here with Teddy again, and we're two Jews. Thanks for coming on again, Teddy. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, so one thing that I find really interesting, especially, you know, I have a I have a modern Orthodox aunt who talks to me about the equality in Judaism and this egalitarian movement and that kind of thing, and she's against it. She doesn't, yeah. she views it as inherently selfish, I believe. Um, but I'd love to hear, because, you know, you're Orthodox, and so there's very much, you know, distinct rules for men versus women. They sit separately. Women aren't allowed on the bima to pray and that kind of thing. And then there's yeah. even in, like, Reform and some conservative, there's, like, you know, female rabbis, females wearing kippahs and talit or, or talises. Um, so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on, on it and, and kind of where, where it stands in the orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely, uh, it's obviously one of those uh, points of contention in, in Orthodox Judaism. Um, so it's, it's a big topic to discuss. And I guess a good place to start would just be um, the idea that in Judaism, men and women have different roles. Mm -hmm. So there's the concept of, uh, you know, when I say different roles, I don't necessarily mean like uh, what we typically think of as, uh, you know, male versus female gender roles but just different roles in how to serve Hashem, how to serve God. But there is, so, there seems yeah. to be some alignment with those roles and like societal gender roles. Yeah, definitely there is. Um, I would say that with regards to, you know, societal, what society today views as the quote unquote gender, gender norms, or maybe not today anymore, but mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago between male and female, um, yeah, there's definitely some connection between that and Jewish men and women's roles, mm -hmm. um, but it's a little bit different. Exactly how would be, I guess, uh, the reasons. I mean, I'm not sure why society would has the, the 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 male and female roles, but in Judaism, there's reasons why we would have those separation roles. So, as an example, uh, women are not bound by time uh, by positive commandments that are time bound. So, in Judaism, you have 613 commandments. You have uh, 248 that are positive, and of those positive ones, you have some that are time-bound. So if they're time-bound, women are automatically exempt from them for various reasons, one being uh, that they're considered at a higher spiritual level than men, which is surprising to a lot of people who are for the egalitarian movement. Mm -hmm. um, and they, we're, we, we believe that women automatically have a higher spiritual connection to God than men do, and so they don't need the prayer three times a day or the other things that generally happen in a synagogue where you would see those, uh, I guess, inequality potentially taking place, which is, in my opinion, not true. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting that, I mean, yeah. just from my, my inherent gut nature, I'm like, okay, it makes sense that women are more spiritually connected than men. Yeah. Like, that just kind yeah. of makes sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that they're not like, uh, you know, they don't have this dictate of they have to pray, you know, consistently to maintain that connection because it's just more inherent in their nature. And so that actually, right. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just want, I will say there is an element of prayer for women as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a debate amongst uh, uh, medieval scholars, rabbis and whatnot, what, to what extent women have the obligation to pray and to uh, daven. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing that is for certain is that it's uh, much less restrictive than men, which would be three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so there's this idea that, like, you know, women and, and men are separate but equal, right? And it's yeah. like, 
the woman's role uh, that's you know provided in Judaism is no less important yeah. than the male role. But it seems no. that you know in this movement, the women are saying that they view their role as less important than the male's role. So they want more of that male role. Um, so that's kind of I guess going against what the original uh, meaning was that like they you know their role. I don't know why they think their role is separate, but or 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 lesser. But it's kind of you know the similar thing that is again going on in broader society that you know traditionally women were the kind of homemaker, took care of the kids and that kind of stuff, and the men yep. went and and got you know got a job and made some money, and it's it yep. was somehow started to be viewed that that was lesser for women, that their role was less important, um, and I don't think that's necessarily true. But I guess yeah. those parallels are taking place in Judaism, like, or you're seeing that movement in Judaism similarly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, I definitely agree with the fact that, you know, you have this kind of concept in society where if you're a woman and you're someone who's, uh, you know, just in the house taking care of the kids, you know, cooking, cleaning, the kind of typical female uh, wife kind of role that that society has, and um, it, then there is the kind of that feeling like. I guess by some people that that would be considered a lesser role because maybe you feel like you don't have as much independence to go out and, you know, fulfill your dreams of becoming a, you know, whatever kind of career you want to have. Yeah. Um, although interestingly enough, I will say, uh, especially in Israel and today, uh, in today's day and age, you have a lot of people where the husband will actually uh, take care of the house as much as the woman and she will actually go out and the wife and she will work and, uh, she'll actually provide the money for the first few year, first first few years of the marriage, so that the husband can continue to learn Torah full time, and uh, they still okay. have a support for the family. So something yeah. that you know, it, it's definitely you know, even though uh, I guess from you know 50 years back, it generally was that you had the husband going out to work and the wife staying home taking care of the kids. Yeah. Um, in Haredi Judaism today, you really see a shift where uh, the wives will go out to work before the men. So the men have a few more years of studying Torah, and mm. then afterwards there'll be a reversal of the roles, and it'll kind of uh, revert back to normal when you know maybe they have three or four kids already, and it's getting harder to pay the bills or whatever it is. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. So and so, is there some, you know, why is it so important for men to study the Torah but not for women? Is it because of this, um, you know, more thoroughly develops innate spirituality in women? Yes, that's definitely part of it. Um, to be honest, this is one subject that I was never 100% clear on myself. Mm -hmm. um, but from my understanding, it kind of relates back to the idea that the role of uh, women in, in, in the world was not to study, is not to study Torah because inherently they have that higher spiritual connection. However, saying that it is certainly not like against going, you know, going against the Torah for a woman to study Torah, um, mm. for a woman to, for a woman to study Torah with her husband, uh, with other women, you know, going to different, you know, hear different rabbis speak and stuff like that. Definitely a very common thing in Judaism today. Mm. Um, however, there's definitely not as much of an emphasis on women, you know, sitting down for 12 hours a day and just learning. Yeah. Kind of thing. And so, you know, are you, are, like, I'm, I'm personally interested in hopefully finding you know, a wife that is interested in, you know, being more of a homebody potentially, because I, I hope to have a partnership, right? And I, I know that I lack some of those skills to, yep. I don't think I would be good to be the stay-at-home <coughs> parent. 
but I see right. value in their being a stay-at-home parent. So it kind right. of, in my mind, I'm hoping that I, I can find someone that would, you know, tend to that. And it, it seems, you know, I, I know a handful of Orthodox um, female, like Orthodox, modern Orthodox women who, mm-hmm. who very much enjoy and cherish the ability to be there at home with their kids and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. That scene is so like kind of contrary to what is acceptable for women now or they're bad feminists or whatever. But they like, I mean, my aunt, at least, uh, she values it and she sees the huge amount of value she provides to, you know, the community and to her family overall by doing that role. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, a couple couple of points, I guess, to mention on that. So one would be just the fact that, um, yeah, like part part of Judaism is to be fruitful and multiply, you know, one of the first commandments uh, that's given in the Torah. Mm-hmm. And so with that kind of core concept in place for when a couple gets married, um, it automatically kind of, you know, one of the two people at some point or another is going to have to start to be a stay-at-home parent because if your plan is to have six, seven, eight, nine you know, 10 kids, yeah. then, you know, it would be very difficult to manage that when you don't have anyone at home and everyone's working. And uh, yeah, it would be a bit of a, in, in Hebrew, a balagan, a chaos. Yeah. Um, and so, so are that's you definitely like one in, in the modern Orthodox young circles, let's say, do you know, yeah. like, uh, or let's call you quote, ultra Orthodox, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know many females, and what are that are also ultra orthodox, and what are their views of of that kind of? Yeah, so this is one thing. Um, coming from the background I come from, uh, so I grew up kind of like what modern orthodox, if you want to call it that, traditional, and then uh, was secular for a little while, and then ultra orthodox. Mm-hmm. And generally, uh, I, I never really had any contact with ultra orthodox women in particular mm-hmm. before I became ultra orthodox, yeah. and it's almost like less so now that I am. Uh, ultra-Orthodox because there's generally a uh, strong separation between men and women unless you're married or, you know, planning on getting married and going on dates and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's one area that I just, yeah, I really am trying to think of, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with uh, speaking yeah, to so, ultra-Orthodox women about their views of these things. I assume to some extent that they're okay with it and, you know, enjoy it and kind of enjoy the, the family atmosphere or whatever kind of situation they're in, but um, I really don't know. Okay, and so, you know, then I'm wondering about, you know, that separation. So, you know, you inherently just will interact with way more uh, men than women. And it's kind of like, you know, there's stories of uh, the ultra-Orthodox men on planes asking to be switched seats because they can't sit next to a woman and that kind of stuff. So that also kind of perpetuates this, this narrative in some people's minds that, the ultra-Orthodox Jews are somehow misogynist or anti-women because they don't interact right. with them, and, and that's, there's yep. all these strict rules. Right. So, so, so one thing I will say, specifically with planes, um, for, for, for me personally, I would not ask to be switched seats uh, if I'm you know, seated next to a woman. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the majority of ultra-Orthodox people wouldn't, but I really I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Um, and with regards to kind of that leading on to the perception with all the separation that we live, you know, we're kind of more of a male dominated misogynistic society. Um, I would answer to that, that I guess the biggest reason for the separation is that, uh, you know, in Judaism, we believe that they're, that men are created with an extremely strong uh, biological sexual desires and mm-hmm. things of that nature. And unless you have a high degree of separation, then you know those barriers could very easily break down 
and the moral fabric of Judaism, you know, family purity and, and stuff like that will very easily break down, which you can see a lot in, you know, different movements that have allowed more segregation between men and women, or sorry, less segregation between men and women and allowing them to kind of mingle together. And, and in Judaism, at least in ultra-Orthodox Judaism, it's very, it's, uh, it's of utmost importance to, you know, keep that to a minimum because we believe that there are these, you know, specifically with men, uh, <laughs> that they have these strong desires and, and, you know, the only way to kind of minimize them is to reduce your exposure with someone who's not your wife or potential wife in the future. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of, to me, it's pretty obvious that men do have this, let's call it problem, right? Or, or whatever and, and, it is. And, and, and not... that's not to say that women don't also have a drive, but we believe that it's certainly to a lesser extent than men. Yeah. At and least I... in, in a normal, you know, when, when people, grow, what we would consider to be people growing up in a normal uh, culture and society. However, you could argue that today in Western society that that's not necessarily true, and yeah. people grow up with all kinds of different ideologies. So women end up on the same kind of desire range plane as men. But I'm not sure of that either. <laughs> yeah, but to me, yeah, it, to me, it is pretty obvious that there's some truth in that, and you can even see, you know, in Judaism and in even Islam, the women dress very reserved, and it's like, well, I'm not going to flaunt my body necessarily. Um, right. because I mean, the, it's just kind of known that it's there, but then that does kind of, again, you know, go in contrast with what we hear in Western society where it's like, well, men are just trained poorly. Like, you know, just get over it. Like I'm not enticing you, but it's like, well, but there are biological urges, right? Like we are biological creatures. So it is, yeah. I do think important. Um, but I guess, you know, some people still view it as quite extreme to have that, that degree of separation, I, I suppose. Right. I, I think that's also, you know, even in, within the ultra-Orthodox and modern-Orthodox circles, it's a big point of contention, especially in today, to figure out, you know, yes, we understand there's a need for the segregation, or for the segregation and separation, and, you know, men have these very strong desires, and, and it's kind of, you know, everyone's trying to find the right balance between segregation and still you know, women and men both feeling like they're able to live their lives independently and how they want to, um, but still within a Torah framework. And so you, uh, you that find this... that everyone kind of falls differently on the spectrum of where they're comfortable with. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's important to note that, yeah, even though, you know, you are an Orthodox Jew, it's, and, and there's many and, uh, you know, we can't just group everyone together as like everyone agrees because that's not the case in any subset of society. Right. Right. Um, do you think that this like tends to repression though um because that would be you know a common argument i guess is that it it's too repressed and then um you know maybe people go overboard in other ways i mean because the direct comparison i guess would be with like you know priests and yeah uh, this this pedophilia because they're so repressed and that kind of thing but they're also celibate so that's not quite right the same. right 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 so i was just gonna say so that's a big distinction i guess is that we don't we don't view celibacy as some higher level of spirituality, not even for the most holy rabbi in the world kind of thing. No, the most holy um, rabbi should have, you know, 20 kids. Should have a wife. Yeah, they're the only the only point in Jewish history where you see any major Jewish leader not having relations with his wife is Moshe Rabbeinu, who was uh, the first, the, the biggest prophet in Judaism. Mm -hmm. And we see that he had a wife and he had kids and he, you know, fulfilled his obligations. Um, it was just after the Jews... Uh, specifically, Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah from God at uh, Mount Sinai in uh, the desert leading from Egypt to uh, the land of Israel, that he himself was on like such a high spiritual plane that 
you know, it says in the Torah directly that no one else was as humble as Moshe Rabbeinu, and basically no one, no other Jew is going to be able to get to that level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, and that was only after the uh, revelations at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And so we see that there's only one case, and it's only for part of his life, where yeah. uh, where there was a, a man who, you know, was basically did not have relations with his wife. Yeah. And, and so it's um, much more yeah. ju- like, and I think, you know, I mean, I even remember that like on Shabbat, you know, something that is fully allowed in, and potentially uh, encouraged, I don't know how explicitly, is intimacy with your wife because it is a very yes. spiritual act. So it's, it actually does encourage that yes, piece of connection, right. um, yeah. but it's just, you know, not writ large in, in, in all of society and, and premarital and all of that other stuff, right? Right, right. So, 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 so a couple of things. I, I want to talk about the premarital relations soon because that's very relevant to today. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to go back to, uh, yeah, on, on Shabbat, on Shabbos, it's, uh, it is, it is uh, a mitzvah for a man and a wife to be uh, intimate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it, we see that exactly what you're saying before the act is can, in Judaism, it's really considered a spiritual thing. And, you know, it, it, in Judaism, you see this all over the place that you try and take something that's the most physical thing in the world, whether it's eating, sleeping, whatever it is, and you elevate it to a standard where it can be used for spiritual, uh, purposes and spiritual, you know, gaining and trying to become closer to God, mm-hmm. which I think is something that divides Judaism from a lot of other religions, where they might view it like in Christianity, where you know if you're having relations with a woman, that can't bring you to higher planes of spirituality. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, bringing it back to the roles and and this yeah. idea of whether or not they're equal. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I think of bringing it back to, like you know, the this what I'm viewing as like me sitting in synagogue, right? Um, yeah. You know, at now at, at the conservative shul that I belonged to as a kid, you know, I went as an adult and it's like they introduced themselves as egalitarian instead of conservative. And also yeah. it was like, OK, the women wear kippahs now and have and have tallest and that kind of stuff. And in my mind, I'm just like, what's the point? Like when I was a when I was a kid or even now, I'm not like superbly proud, like, oh, wow, I wear a kippah. Look at me or I wear a tallest. Look at me. So it's like to take something that I was just, you know, instructed I should do for whatever reason, and they're making it, and even like in my reasoning, it's about God, right? But then they're making it about them that like, they, oh, I have to do these two because you do it. And it's like, well, I didn't even care that I did it, right? Like I just did it. Um, So it it seemed like kind of, I don't know, bizarre to me that it was like this, this explicit like demand that they should have these things that like, I don't, I mean, if I didn't have them i wouldn't be like oh no what was me right like it, it just didn't really make sense to me so yeah. i'd love to hear your thoughts on on that kind of stuff yeah so um i mean first of all with regards to a kippa interestingly enough uh in terms of jewish law uh it was never a enacted jewish law that men had to wear a kippa um it was actually it, it developed in the times of uh, the talmud the gemara uh i guess it would be roughly 2,000 years ago, maybe a little bit less, 17, 1,800 years ago, that you saw some men um, were recorded as wearing head coverings mm. as a sign of uh, being pious um, okay. to show their submissiveness to God. Um, and it was considered something called the mitos chasidas, which is a basically what I just said. It's a, a characteristic of uh, piousness. Okay. And so uh, ultimately what ended up happening is more men kind of took this on and um, then at some point or another, uh, like a lot of things in Judaism, it became a tradition that men just wear a kippah because 
you know, back in the times of the Talmud, that was one of those things that uh, some of the people, pious people did. And so pe mm. more people took it on as a tradition. And then at some point it kind of, as a lot of things in Judaism do, it transitioned from just being a pious thing to do to everyone does it just because that's the way it's been for literally thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing about the kippah. And uh, with regards to just that feeling of, I guess, a woman, you know, not wearing a talus or a kippah or tefillin, um, specifically with talus and tefillin, again, those things are time-bound positive commandments. Yeah. And so women are not obligated in them. And even though it's like, you know, I, I can understand it from the perspective that you, you know, you're a woman, you're like, oh, you know, you feel like you're restricted, you can't do this, you can't do that. But at the same time, what's the reason you can't do those things? It's not because you're considered less in the society. It's because we consider you not needing to do those things because you don't need those elements of connection to God like men do. Yeah, so it's actually restrictions on men that women are saying we want to. Correct. I mean, correct. And and it's kind of um, not not in the same envelope, but, you know, the fact that women are in, in ultra-Orthodox Judaism dress very modestly. And, you know, some people might say that's like a, I guess uh, uh, um, I'm trying to figure out the word. Uh, it's repressing them, like they can't repress it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's repressing them. It's kind of for the benefit of the of the women themselves, because meaning because we believe that men are you know have these biological drives that are a lot stronger than women. It's you know we're it's done like that to prevent men from objectivizing women the way that you see it happening in society today so yeah. even though it's repressive it, it really serves a very important function well and then you but like many people would you know say that that's an issue that we should instead focus on men not objectifying women rather than women like preventing themselves from being objectified right it's like that I mean, the, the, what you would hear in secular society is women should be able to wear whatever they want uh, you know, yep. or walk around in, in just their underwear and men should just know to not look. Right. I, I mean, I think, to be honest, I think that that's one of those points where secular society has it wrong. Yeah. I just I don't think that you're ever going to take out that biological drive that, you know, the vast majority, if not all men have, and you're just going to be able to say control yourself and that's going to be at. Mm -hmm. saying saying that there obviously has to be you know uh some amount of self-control that everyone has to have whether you're a man or a woman um however that's uh you know that's kind of after you already take into consideration the fact that women should dress modestly um and even men i mean you know men also in terms of uh orthodox men are not supposed to dress in you know, shorts and tank tops and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, for the same reason, but you don't see it as much because um, I'm not or, really sure. But like like also, in Orthodox, you're not going to see a guy walking around without a shirt on just like you're not going to see a woman. So yeah. There's really no difference in the two. Yeah, and that's an important point. Like men and yeah. women in Orthodoxy are both supposed to dress conservatively. It's just right. in society generally, men on average dress conserv more conservatively anyways so that they right. don't stick out as much because men do tend to wear suits to work and not short dresses or whatever. And they, like, they just, dr men don't have this, uh, even in secular society, they don't dress explicitly, let's say. Right, So, right. So the Orthodox Jewish men just kind of blend in yeah. much more easily. Yeah, so, so that, that could definitely be part of it as well.
And it's, so it's interesting that women dressing conservatively stick out like a sore thumb in today's society, right? That's yeah. kind of, that's yeah. quite funny. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of another perspective to look at it from. Yeah. And so I'm interested to ask a little bit further about like, what are your expectations or how will it go? Maybe we can do another episode on this, but like yeah. around you finding a wife, right? Like, cause yeah. is it, is it you like, is there a Yenta who's going to have an arranged marriage or, or something? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so uh, my, my plans are to start uh, dating uh, probably in the next six months or so. Um and uh, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for someone who is a little bit more modern um, in the sense that, you know, they grew up in a similar background to me. They kind of understand the secular world a little bit. They understand the, the firm world a little bit, the orthodox world. So they didn't and grow up ultra orthodox. Right. Yeah. I'm looking for someone who grew up kind of my, my uh, you know, uh, the way I grew up, which is more traditional and, yeah. and kind of then also uh, went on the path of becoming more from and and taking on these things that the Torah prescribes, such mm. as more modest dress, um, no contact between men and women unless you're married, uh, different things like that. And um, so, yeah, I'm looking for a wife who, you know, is uh, is interested in growing in those things like myself. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, not necessarily, you know, super ultra orthodox or, you know, not all the way to the extreme kind of thing. Yeah. Trying to find the right balance for us. Okay. That makes sense. And I actually want to ask now, I'm going to switch back to the other topic around. Yeah. So how do you possibly survive like on a university campus? Like there's just going to yeah. be scantily clad, you know, women all over the place. Um, yeah. I guess it's winter right now, but even still, like I, I work on campus and, and it's like, you know, the way people dress, it's extremely tight fitting clothes and all of those things. Yeah. So yeah. is it just like not, I mean, is it a, is, are you breaking some sort of rule by even being there? Or like if you sit next to them at in a lecture, like, or right. how do you just like, is it just eyes head down all the time? Right. So, so first thing I will say is that it is an extraordinarily large challenge yeah. and I would be a total liar to say that I haven't uh, lived up to what I expected for myself since I got back. Yeah. I'm saying that though. I know myself well enough to know that going to a place like university campus, even in the winter, um, I knew I was going to be exposed to things that, I didn't want to be exposed to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a certain element of, I, I don't know if I would call it sacrifice. There's a certain element of uh, a trade-off that I had to do in making a decision to go back to university because mm. uh, it is a very challenging environment for me, especially going from three years of yeshiva being literally surrounded by only men for all, the entire time yeah. with minimal contact with women who aren't my family mm. to, uh, to just university. Yeah. Um, so it was a big change, and uh, there's a lot. There are a continuing a lot of challenges, and I think for anyone realistically who is trying to live to that standard of you know no premarital relations, and you know uh, you shouldn't have seminal omissions if you're a male and you're not married at least on purpose. Yeah. Um, and trying to you know live that pure lifestyle and being a university student. I really do think those two things are pretty contradictory. Yeah. And if I was to be doing it for any more than four months, I would not have come back to do the degree. That was kind of the determining factor was it's only going to be four months. It will be the winter. So that does reduce a little bit of what's going on. Yeah. And I'm not on campus all the time because I only have three classes there and I'm literally there for the classes and I get the heck out of there and try and keep yeah. my head down as much as I can. Okay. 
I mean, that makes sense. And and so what what do you say to, you know, a female who thinks that you're a horrible person for not being able to control yourself or not wanting to be able to, like, because they'd say, potentially, you're, you're a bad person for not being able or wanting to be around women. Right. I mean, and I would say to that, I guess, um, I don't think so. Meaning to say, it's not like I, you know, go sit down in a university lecture, and I'm just you know, trying to stare at every woman I see who looks attractive. And, you know, it's like this, you know, super strong desire that I have. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's overtaking my life. Um, I can still, you know, I, I, I have a couple of uh, people who I sit next to in class who I talk to for and after class, you know, whether it's stats or uh, one of my health courses, and we just discuss different matters in health. And, you know, it's not always on my mind. And most of the time, it's not on my mind, mm -hmm. you know, oh, geez, this person is dressed so immodestly. And, you know, it's really, whatever, throwing me into all kinds of uh, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. desire, desire things, but, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately I don't think that it makes, I don't, I don't think it makes me a bad person to have those desires and to say that it's difficult for me to control them. Um, just like I would say that, you know, anyone else who's in a university student, who's a guy is going through the same challenges. The difference is they don't view them as challenges. And Meaning they to say indulge that, them. Exactly. Yeah. It's a matter of whether you want to indulge it or whether you want to try and constrain it. Yeah. And they're obviously, in terms of constraining, a person has to know himself, meaning to say, if you don't know yourself and you constrain yourself too much, you kind of end up in one of those situations, I think, similar to, you know, someone who's a celibate priest where, you know, you just kind of go off the rails. Yeah. Um, and so I think for everyone, uh, they have to find the right balance for them. And that's going to be different for everyone based on how they're, how they're created, how they're biological desires are manifested in themselves and do women so, have yeah. similar requirements to not engage like orthodox women to not engage and interact with men is it a similar yeah. it's similar for both both genders it's it's or sexes it's uh it's it's um yeah it's the same segregation on both ends okay and is it you know where, where this rule is put or wherever <laughs> this rule is derived from does it say that the women are doing it for the men's benefit because it's like this idea that men are the more biologically urged ones um it could be that it does to be honest i have not studied generally speaking the way it works with uh judaism ultra-orthodox judaism and you know learning about uh you know uh, getting married and, and all the things that come with uh, having relations intimate relations and and things like that um don't come until you're kind of in your pre-marital stages okay. and uh, i'll have discussions at that point i'm sure i'll open up some some gemaras and some texts and stuff and learn about it um, from an ultra-Orthodox perspective, because obviously I have that secular perspective as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any sources right now, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, and it's definitely, I definitely have more things I want to talk to you about now, so I look forward to, yeah. <laughs> uh, to doing this again. Yeah, it's funny. The more the more I have these conversations with you, the more I'm like, oh, you know what? These there's, there's a lot of questions that I have now that I have to you know go and figure out. But yeah, always yeah. always fun and uh, and enjoyable conversations. Perfect. And thanks for everyone who tuned in. I hope you found that interesting. Uh, that's Teddy. I'm David, and we're two Jews. All right.